Happy holidays, Maura. Happy holidays. Uh, isn't it funny how uh, an actual glass clink next to a microphone sounds so much more dull than the ones that are sound effects? Exactly. But ours is real. Ours is real because just like our holiday gift guide, we are recording in a bar. Exactly. We are enjoying the ambiance, getting out of the office a little bit. So the clink sound is slightly different because the shape of the glasses have changed That's since true. the last one. That's true. So, But it's all part of the authenticity that is us. And not only did we, quote unquote, threaten to record an episode or two here and there in a bar, we're doing it. And we should give a little bit of a thanks to our accidental host because they didn't really know we were coming we didn't ask permission before we got here you just uh, it's funny that I managed to be about two minutes late so that you could make full arrangements to walk into a restaurant bar and uh, make sure that you had a table and electricity and all of the things that makes the magic happen that's right and set up my laptop and the microphone before the manager happened to walk by and I said hey you don't mind right we're recording a podcast exactly (laughs) So we are in our favorite Marlowe's Tavern, which yes. is in Johns Creek, Georgia, and we can often be found here on a, any given Friday afternoon for happy hour, exactly when our schedules permit. But I'm very excited about this. It is our first ever bonus episode. And I think it is in keeping with the season, yes, and with the whole purpose of our podcast, right? Uh, absolutely. We are talking about today our favorite Hollywood holiday houses. Properties. Properties. Spoiler for the end. That's right. That's right. Little teaser, but we're not going to tell you why. Yes. But what's your favorite holiday movie, Cheryl? I really, I think probably the one that plays on absolute repeat in my house is because it plays on absolute repeat on the television. I mean, you don't even need, you know, some of these things may be on Netflix, and if they were, it would periodically ask you, are you still alive? Are you are, are you still watching? Are you still watching? But I really think probably the one that can always play as like the background of your life would be uh, Christmas Story. Oh, see, and I understand that, although... I will say, I think I've only seen that one one and a half times. You have got to be kidding me. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Had you told me about that before we started this? That was absolute news to Cheryl right now. I mean, I've seen it like more than one and a half times per day during Christmas. Because again, (laughs) it's either that or, you know, nowadays you can put on, like you'll put on Christmas music channels and get other things. But really, it acts as the backdrop while we're cooking and doing everything else. It's the soundtrack of the season for some people. It is. It's probably also, it's shocking to you in the way that maybe it's shocking to other people that I've never seen Top Gun. (laughs) Sorry, my silence. So, I don't go to movie theaters a lot, but it is one of the few times... What was that this kind of this time last year, right? Or was it in the middle of the year? I can't remember. When when the sequel when when it came out again, right? And so we first, as every good parent should, we watched the original with my daughter, yes. and then we took her to the movie theater to watch the next one, so that she would get the full understanding sure. of all of the little private jokes. That's the explanation as to why I haven't seen the sequel because I've never seen the original. I have a whole three-year period of time that is from 95 to 98 where I watch no movies. They represent, it represents uh, law school for me. So periodically, people will refer to movies, and I'm like, yeah. So Pulp Fiction came out during that time. I have never seen Pulp Fiction. Oh, I have not either. Yes. Yes. 
So, and but not because of law school, just because I haven't seen Pulp Fiction. People look at me like, what? And I'm like, no, there's there's three years where all I did was study. I, I did, and well, and drink. Let's be let's be honest. <laughs> I played hard and I worked hard. But what we didn't do was go to movies during that period of time. That is the same period of time that I was in graduate school, so I do okay. relate in that respect. Maybe. But my favorite holiday movie is actually the first one that we're going to talk about today. Awesome. And it is Home Alone. It has become such a classic, and, and the house is an integral part of the story, right? The house is almost a character which in the movie, which I think is why I'm so drawn to it. There are a lot of reasons. So if I had to if I had to explain why it's one of my favorite movies, first of all, it was just so clever. Second of all, my brother is a few years younger than Macaulay Culkin, so he, Macaulay Culkin, if he was our sibling, yeah. would be smack dab in the middle of my brother and myself because we're 10 years apart. My brother, without his glasses on as a child, was a spitting image of Macaulay Culkin. <laughs> so we used to actually make a lot of comparisons in my family. But also, one of the reasons that it's my favorite is it's a movie that just could not be made today. The violence, the... And it's it's Looney Tunes violence, right? It, it, it is, Nothing yes. that happens to the two criminals in that movie. They would not be left standing and alive at the end, right? It's, exactly. the, it's the sheer slapstick quality of it. But I love that fantasy part of it because it takes what could be very scary... Being home alone, an intruder in the home, left, yes. getting left behind as a child, home invasion. It takes very terrifying concepts and turns them into good holiday fun. Exactly. And obviously it became the formula that had all of the... I don't even know. I'm, I don't, I'm really not aware that I watched any of the sequels. Like, I've kind of... There's some things where you just kind of stick to the original because it worked and I'd rather watch it more times than none. In my head, I'm thinking if you left your kid home alone like three times, maybe like that would be a, a you know some sort of a government in, you know intervention. Yes, sure. I will say that in my limited experience with film, I'm not. Let's be real. I'm not a film critic. I'm I'm not qualified to be right. a film critic. I will say that my opinion is that Home Alone Two: Lost in New York is one of the best made sequels of all time then I will have to check it out. In that, even though it follows a formula, it doesn't lose the quality that that is so enjoyable in the first one Yeah. when you bring it to the second one, unlike some other you know sequels that we may be familiar with. Well, and you had a lot of really, really good character actors that were in that that just, I mean, they, they lived that character. So high quality, high absolutely. quality. But you mentioned The House, and right. of course, I, I truly think one of the reasons it is such a great film is... The, the house is almost a character oh, and yeah. what I love about it is it's a real house so a couple things about the house from a real estate perspective it is an actual house you can go and drive past it probably don't want to knock on the door it's located at 671 Lincoln Avenue in Winnetka Illinois it is a Chicago suburb just like they say in the movie right and it was built in 1920 which I wouldn't have guessed before I started looking what would you have said for the year? I probably would have said the 60s or 70s. Just yeah. a, a obviously traditional Build. style. Yeah. Not mid-century or you know a split level, but very Georgian or colonial, traditional two-story. It's around 4,200 square feet. And this is all, of course, courtesy of our friends at Realtor.com. Five bedrooms, including the owner's suite, which takes up an entire wing of the house. It is four rooms in total just for the owner suite 
And I guess they probably, I mean, you had the scenes that were upstairs, but I guess you probably didn't, they didn't, it wasn't as much about what, it was all about what the kids were doing that night, right? Of course. Like when the, when they were having the dinner before they left. And sure, then, yeah. sure. There's a lot of information online about this movie, of course, because it is such a classic, or it has become such a classic, and the house, of course, is such a focal point. The foyer and some of the interior shots on the main floor are actually were actually filmed in the home. Okay. A lot of the rest of it was filmed in a soundstage. On the sets. Yeah. As you can imagine. Yeah. It is one of those rare houses in, in film where it's not completely built on a soundstage, so it is a real house. Right. And that they did film some of those interior shots in the actual home. Well, and did they do exterior? They probably did some of... A lot of the exterior was done at the actual home as well. Exactly. Some of the street shots. They actually built the treehouse in the backyard for some reason they dismantled it which is strange to me because the the actual owners who allowed their home to be used for filming had children oh so it's interesting that they dismantled the treehouse from that final scene you know where he zip lines out of the attic and he exactly. zip lines down to the treehouse but it is one of those rare instances where they filmed some of the interior shots in the house and i can only imagine what it must have looked like with the cameras and the lighting and everything that was set up on a film set but in a real home, a foyer, a living room, a kitchen. And that's part of the reason that they use sets on, you know, that it's just that much easier is because it's so hard to do blocking and lighting and all of those other things that you have to do. Obviously, the family the family was out during that period of time, but hopefully they got to come back and watch some of that going on. Wouldn't that be fun? I would definitely be there. And, you know, us living in Atlanta these days where we are the new, the Hollywood of the South, right? right? So many of our colleagues and some of our clients their homes are rented out for filming purposes. How interesting that in 1990, exactly, they were renting. Which is a out, million years ago. It was a million years ago. They're renting out houses for films instead of just using the exterior for the establishing shots. I mean, maybe it maybe it leads a little bit toward the authenticity of it all when you you know that that it you can see an actual family in there. Particularly when it's like the combination of all the family getting together and there's the fights and all the rest of it. Feels familiar. It does feel familiar. <laughs> and I I think that some of the things that I've seen online that are considered negatives these days, you know, the over-the-top floral wallpaper in the foyer, for uh-huh. example, that just adds to the classic feeling of the movie. It, it lives in the time period in which it was created. So I just went back to my uh, sorority house at LSU for my daughter's initiation, and there was that. So I was in, I was in uh, college from '91 to '95, and we had in our dining room that floral, that heavy, heavy, heavy floral wallpaper. Dark colors. It was yeah. It was like pinks and blues, mm-hmm. and I walked in expecting to still see it there. And I was like, oh, they went with like a solid neutral color. (laughs) It does place you in a certain time period. It lives in its time. And I think with that movie, at least, that's successful because you want to feel like you're back in that time period for nostalgia reasons, but also because, again, that's a movie that couldn't be made today. And interestingly, fun fact, before we move on to our next house, uh, this is one of the few properties that on Google Maps, it's blurred out. And the reason that I found in in blog post after blog post after blog post was that someone took initiative to contact Google, maybe the property owners, maybe the filmmakers, to blur out the exterior of the home on Google Maps 
to keep fans from showing up uninvited because it is actually still a family home. And seeing it on Google Maps would confirm that that is the Home Alone house, which might drive more people to drive by or knock on the door. I think more people should take advantage of checking out what their property looks like on Google Maps and making that request of Google. I was doing a closing, and it was a large property, and uh, we were trying to confirm some things with the property, so we were using the tax map and surveys and Google Maps and all of these other so when I pulled it up in Google Maps, on the big lawn, the housekeeper had come out to take the dog outside to go to the bathroom. <laughs> and the dog is doing his business on the front lawn. In the Google photo. He is looking straight at the satellite as if he knows with this look of shame in his eyes that forever this, this dump that he is taking in the front lawn is now going to be the Google map of this $2 million property. Oh, goodness. Bless wow. his heart. Bless his heart. <laughs> well, the housekeeper didn't look super thrilled either. But <laughs> On that note, Let's, should we move on to our next famous Hollywood holiday property? I'm going to go back to It's Okay if you just turn on the Christmas story on loop and play it over and over and over again. But this one is not blocked out by Google, right? But So this one is, it is taking full advantage of the notoriety that it has and its place in our hearts. And so it is now a museum and you can actually go there and stay overnight. I found that so interesting that you can book a room. I know. And, you know, if you happen to be in Cleveland, which is where the property is, this one is uh, four bedrooms, two full baths. It says it's a little bit on the small side, but given the year in which the story happens and the year of construction, I mean, I don't think you would be that surprised that it's saying, you know, less than a thousand square feet of space right. in this right. thing. I really do think also that this is another one where the house is sort of, is a little bit of the story, not to yes. nearly the same extent. No, but it definitely feels like it's part of the story. Exactly. I mean, you know, all of this, the scenes happen where you want them to happen. He's getting his mouth washed out with soap in the bathroom, and <laughs> there's the dinner, and oh my God, and the, fr the front window where he opens up his fragile <laughs> <laughs> now, I will say, even though I'm not as familiar with the movie, I do know the fragile, the <laughs> lamp, right? The leg lamp that lives in that front window. Exactly. And that's how you picture it. You, When I think of that movie, that's what I think of in addition to the, um, isn't this the one with the tongue on the, light, on the, on the flagpole? Double dog dare you. Um, anyone, any kid, any kid born in the last 30, 40 years who has said that has clearly said it because, yes, and you, you know, when dared to do something, you have to do it. Especially if you're double dog dared. What I kept thinking about every time I've watched this movie, which might have been a few times, is was there no ability to just pour a little bit of lukewarm water on it? I think of that as the daughter of, a, of an RN. Did they actually have to rip the kid's tongue off of the cold pole? Or would there not have been a better way to do it? I think there's certainly a better way because that just gives me all of the goosebumps. The, the ripping the tongue. It is clearly also a moral lesson in peer pressure. In the fact that we, you know, should be able to have our own agency and make our own decisions. But yes, yeah, so, you know, it is a museum, but it's also sold a few times. It hasn't sold, obviously, that many times in the last few years. Whoever bought it in 05 was clearly looking at it to be able to restore it and living the dream that and it And create was a business. Yeah. yeah. 
and it hasn't increased a lot in value in the last you know 20 years and it's part of our hearts and if I ever happen to find myself in Cleveland Ohio I'm gonna go by and see it well I will say you know my friend Bobby yes from St. Joseph Missouri Bobby Howe realtor shout out if you're listening she just visited it uh, back in August with her family she brought her son they went to Christmas Story house they went to the museum I don't think they spent the night but she's definitely a fan and that was something that they went as a part of their last week before school starting road trip the only last comment and question and maybe you're the wrong person to ask because you clearly don't love this movie as much as I do (laughs) is there is a sequel I've heard about this I'm scared of it quite frankly because we just had this conversation with Home Alone about the sequels and that I believe that Home Alone 2 is a fantastic sequel. Hollywood and sequels doesn't have the most consistent reputation. Correct. And a sequel that is 30 plus years in the making with the same lead character, Peter Billingsley, I've read, right. is going to reprise his role. Yes. I'm worried. I am hopeful that I am pleasantly surprised, but if it's really great, I will be surprised. I'm going to give our listeners a little peek behind the curtain. We're not recording this on the day it's being released. We are not. And by the time it's released, I'll know whether I'm right or whether I'm wrong. I was going to propose that perhaps we have a boozy movie day. I think that sounds like an excellent idea. As part of our holiday celebration, I think we should watch... Do I have to watch the first one with you first? I think we should. So that you know... I'll do with you what I did with my daughter with Top Gun. Right. But I also think that we should, as part of the celebration of the holiday, we should watch the original. Exactly. We need some joy. Yes. Before we watch the questionable, will we like it sequel. Yes. And And then maybe we do the same thing with Home Alone. We may need two boozy movie days. I don't think that would be a bad way to spend December. (laughs) Not at all. Uh, It is also worth mentioning that in conjunction with the sequel being released, the house and the museum are up for sale again. And I did not find the listing online yet. I did look, but I did find an article about it on people.com, which we'll obviously link in the show notes. We're going to put so many links in the show notes (laughs) this time. Because if you are movie buffs like we are and you love holiday movies and Hollywood holiday properties, you're going to want to check out these articles that we've read. But it is up for sale again. So good luck to the next buyer who continues to run the B&B and the museum. I hope they do. All right, moving on to number three. Now, this is one that I know you you told me before we started recording that you've only just recently watched in its entirety. Right. But it is one of my husband, Ben's, favorite movies, and I definitely have a soft spot for it, and that is Elf. I don't know why we didn't watch it when it originally came out, but I think it was like the last Christmas trying to find stuff we hadn't seen something that I have a very opinionated husband I have a very picky daughter mm-hmm. and then I'm perfect so I, I mean, mean obviously you know. um, so finding something we could all agree on somehow Elf made it to the top of the list finally and I think I had even watched like a behind the scenes kind of thing because they talked about what they did particularly like before he gets to New York before he's with his dad how they use perspective and other things to make him appear so much larger than the other elves just as someone who likes like the behind the scenes kind of thing is very 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 fun and I think that we should be very clear that the property we're talking about is not Santa's workshop it is not location is a very closely held secret and we are not going to reveal it we We are talking about Walter Hobbs's 
Central Park West apartment. And we see some interior shots. I can only assume those were on a soundstage. But the exterior shots are very much Manhattan, right? Upper West Side. And fun fact, this building was also used as Dana Barrett's apartment in Ghostbusters. So it's often called the Ghostbusters building, not to be concerned with the Ghostbusters ruling from our Halloween episode. Exactly. I think, and I think that probably just represents the fact that it is one of those buildings that gets picked as like the quintessential view of New York, right? Right. Yeah. So it is, for people who haven't been, been there, it's what they would think about. You think of it as a residential building in Manhattan. Right. It, it's near Central Park, which those of us who have been to New York a number of times would know that obviously not every building has a view of Central Park. That adds to the value. There's so many different parts of Manhattan where they could film, but this one felt Christmassy. It's one that feels urban, but also residential. And I think that the familiarity that it was given via Ghostbusters means that it becomes a usable vantage point for Hollywood. Exactly. So, of course, as we were talking about and planning this episode, I was using our friends at Realtor.com and our frenemies at Zillow, (laughs) if you will. So looking at the value, for example, of the house for Home Alone, they're very similar. Realtor.com says it's about $2.1 million. Zillow says it's about 2.2, so they're pretty close to yeah, each other. So for about 4,200 square feet of space. Right, yeah. in a suburb of Chicago. Exactly. And then when we look at Cleveland, we look at the Christmas Story house, very different type of house, right? It was sold in, you mentioned in 2005, and it was sold for 150000 The Zestimate, according to Zillow, is 188000 And we talked about the fact that when it was purchased, it was probably, it was different than any property that would have been that size in that area because part of what sold it was somebody wanted to buy it and and pay reverence to the movie. Right. And multiple properties were sold under that $150,000 because they also created the museum. Exactly. So it's worth mentioning that that's probably viewed more like a commercial property. Right. Looking at the Central Park West property, when I was looking for valuation, of course, of an apartment, we don't know what unit it was. We only know that it was 55 Central Park West on the Upper West Side. So that could be a range of price points that's kind of insane, right? Right. One article estimated for this three-bedroom apartment, $25 million. $25 million, it seemed really high to me, even for Manhattan. So I did reach out to an expert. Okay. And by expert, I mean a local realtor. <laughs> Friend of the podcast, Nikki Beauchamp from uh, Engel and & Volkers in NYC, gave us her estimate of value. She said a three-bedroom, three-bathroom in that building could literally be anywhere between $3 million and $4.5 million. Okay. And she said if it had park-facing views and really great direct views, probably closer to the four to four and a half million. And in the recent seller's market, we can only imagine that it might've gone slightly up from there. Right. The other is what people are trying to get for it and what people are actually getting for it. It may not be the same thing. Especially if you think even what people would have gotten for it in say March or April of this year versus what they might get now with a shifting market. So all that to say, don't believe everything you read online. Right. When you really want a true answer and estimate of value, what do you do? You go to the local expert and that should be your realtor. You know, obviously we have to remind our clients that when you're searching for something online, you're often getting results that are driven by realtor.com or Zillow or Redfin or 
some of the some of the other sites that are out there, and it has you know greater or lesser degrees of accuracy. <laughs> you don't say exactly. Moving on to number four. This is one that I know you've told me you've watched from childhood. Near and dear to my heart. I am a big fan of all of the National Lampoon movies. National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation is just one of the ones that we end up, again, playing behind the scenes more than once. You know, my favorite scene is when he's trying to light up the Christmas lights and she flips the breaker and or flips the switch and you know just keeps going back and forth and he has this success and failure in in constant repeat now there is a a, a cat situation as well there is a cat situation and the tree situation and yes uh degrees of fire hazard that are going on inside of the house it is definitely one of those ones because so much of it revolves around them getting together that although the house may not be a character in and of itself other than maybe the roof and the outside part of it. It definitely, as with a, a lot of our holiday and family, the home is the central lo- central location to, what, to where it is. And in this case, it is one that you can't go to visit. Uh, well, you can. Yes. But you're on, a, you're on the studio lot. Yeah. Yes. In that case, and you know, in theory, they could have done the home loan route and maybe found an exterior house to do some of the other things, but for their purposes, and maybe for the purposes of everything that they did to that house, because if you were my, if it was really my house, I'm not sure that I would want them to tack all of those lights all over it. I don't know, I don't know what that does to a roof, but I just feel like some of that might not have been good. So maybe it was better that they went on site for it. And in a day and age before CGI. Right. Nowadays, if they were to remake that movie, which I don't no. want them to do. No. If that movie was being made today, they could have found a home in any sub- suburb USA, right? And it could have all been CGI. Right. But I have a feeling they were tacking individual strips of lighting onto that roof on that sound set. And I think you feel that in the warmth and the authenticity of it and the utter despair that, that Clark suffers about all of this. And the crazy family members that are in it, like all of it just feels like a silly yet familiar situation and definitely one of my favorites. I think that's the part of the movie to me that really stands out. The house, as you said, the exterior feels maybe like a a supporting character. Right. But really, it's the family dynamics that just drive that train. Exactly. I found it interesting, though, as you can imagine from film and TV sets, right? When, When things exist on a studio back lot, how many other movies exist in the same quote-unquote universe. Right. Tangent, I recently made a birthday cake for my favorite four-year-old, who is my friend's son, and it was a cake of the Incredible Hulk. And I had to learn from from the four-year-old about all the characters that exist in the same universe. The the Marvel universe, right? So when I think about it... We have a lot of movies to watch more of. (laughs) I don't need to watch any of those, but thank you. But what I found was an interesting analogy was... If you take the films and TV shows that have been filmed on this same street, on this same back lot in California, in Burbank, um, these shows and movies all exist in the same universe. Are you ready? It's American Beauty, Small Soldiers, Hocus Pocus, Lethal Weapon, Bewitched, Pushing Daisies, and National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation 
all exist in the same universe. That is... I'm trying to put my mind together with all of those, but that is... I mean, all the way back to Bewitched. I think Bewitched the movie. Oh, yes. okay. Sorry, I should have been more clear. No, you're but, fine. But think about just Hocus Pocus, Bewitched, and National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation all existing in the same universe the way that Spider-Man and the Hulk exist in the same universe. And that kind of blows your mind a little bit. Well, and because you don't know the Marvel Universe, the characters tend to overlap, so I'm trying to imagine the mashup if all of those happened. <laughs> okay, so rounding out our five favorite Hollywood holiday properties. Exactly. Not houses. That's correct. I have to say that I may have told a small fib in the beginning of this episode when I said what my favorite holiday movie was when I said Home Alone because really my favorite holiday movie is controversial because some people don't believe it's a holiday movie at all, Cheryl. And I believe those people are crazy. I think they're wrong and they should just get on our side of this argument because Die Hard is 100% a Christmas movie, period, full stop, no discussion, stop arguing with me. Exactly. And you get no arguments here. I don't think it made itself intending to be that, but there's a Christmas party going on. It's that time of year. There's there's all of the things. Cheryl, the people have spoken. Exactly. Yes. And so those The smart people, anyway. (laughs) The smart people. The dissenters need to just admit that they're wrong. That's correct. Much like a lot of politics. But moving on. (laughs) Let's talk about the character in Die Hard that is the holiday property that holds our hearts, and that is Nakatomi Plaza. And it is one of those where, and we will have a lot of it in the show notes, people have walked through the building, people have tried to surreptitiously record inside of the building, people have been caught by security surreptitiously recording inside of the building. It is clearly a building that really exists. It was under construction at the time of the movie, which gave them some ability to do some different things. But you were telling me before we got started about someone who took a tour of it, because there are parts of this building that are still exactly what they were when the movie was uh, when the movie was made. Absolutely. There's a movie critic that we will post a link in the show notes. He wrote an article for Gizmodo, and he took a tour, I believe, on the 20th anniversary of the movie. And he said there were parts of the kind of behind the scenes that you wouldn't see if you were visiting, say your attorney or your CPA in this building where only repair people go or the parking garage that look exactly the way they did when the movie was filmed and as you said the property was under construction during the filming but there are parts of it that have been left untouched because those parts were completed by the time the movie was filmed exactly This is, of course, also an homage to our commercial friends because, unfortunately, too much of our conversations around real estate in the industry focus on residential, as the first four movies in our discussion of this episode have focused on. But for our commercial friends, why not focus on probably the most famous commercial building in all holiday movie history? Oh, absolutely. And that is from Die Hard. Now, I will say, there's so much great information about this property. We both went down some pretty serious rabbit holes when we were doing this research, but it is a 35-story tower, and it was once part of the back lot of 20th Century Fox. Not the tower itself, but the property that it's built on. And in the 1950s, a lot of movie studios were in financial distress. Fox Studios was one of them. 
And so their studio head at the time decided that he wanted to develop some of the acreage on the back lot to be able to rent out spaces to bring in some money and help a failing movie studio. So one of the other things that I found when I was there, which was kind of a sign of the times, because it feels like such a classic movie that it could, other than, you know, maybe there are some shoulder pads and some, some hairstyle, some hairstyle fashion choices that clearly say that we're still in the 80s here. Um, but so this was the 1987-1988 time period. There is one scene where the driver is out getting gas and you can see Nakatomi Plaza in the background and he's at the convenience store, which still exists. It's something else now. I think it may be a restaurant. But uh, gas then was 79 cents a gallon. Oh, don't we wish we were back at 79 cents a gallon. One thing that I noticed, too, in a lot of the articles I read is that this building is described over and over and over again as 1980s power architecture. I would have never coined that phrase myself, but when you read that phrase and you look at the building, it screams the 80s, like the shoulder pads and the hairstyles and this giant. And the cut etched with the corners and the whole like crown kind of a, It's a giant phallus (laughs) built on a back lot of a movie studio run by men. I mean, if you think about it, during the, the 50s, 60s, and 70s, and even into today, and you can make the argument, it's it's a man's world. Exactly. Hollywood. And yeah. thank goodness that women are starting to put their fingerprint on things, but 1980s power architecture in the shape <laughs> of a giant phallus. Who knew? Another fun fact, though, that I will mention is that former President Ronald Reagan had his offices there after his presidency. He rented out the 34th floor of the building, and he used those offices at the time that he was planning his presidential library. So he had office space. He was meeting with heads of state. He was meeting with architects. He was meeting with planners. And he rented the penthouse office suite for around $135,000 a month. So I wonder what it would rent for now. And obviously there are a lot of smaller businesses that are in there now too. It is regular, you know, commercial rented space now, which is why they sometimes frown upon random people coming in and walking around with their phones uh, recording everywhere. But Of course, it is an actual place of business, but they still have some filmmakers' offices in there. And former First Lady Nancy Reagan also rented the office next door to her dear Ronnie so that she could be right next door while he was also using the space while writing his memoir. Did her psychic also have I'm assuming he must have visited. Yes, I would think so. (laughs) So this has been fun. Yeah. We've stuck mainly with, as I'm sure people have noticed, U.S. properties. But there are so many properties we could have covered for holiday. We could have gone way back to the It's a Wonderful Life, although I'm sure a lot of that would have been on, on sound stages. Right. I think that we should save in our back pocket for a a future holiday episode maybe the house in the Cotswolds and the house in LA from the holiday. So I'll have to watch that movie. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, you will. I do know it because, I mean, because a lot of the ones that we've talked about and some of the other ones, you know, there are YouTubes and everything out there where people want to talk about and give information about some of the properties. So I am aware that there is a U.S.-based house and then there's a house out in the middle of nowhere and a, a switching sort of a situation. Out in the middle of nowhere, but still commutable from London, right. if you can believe that. Yes. 
Um, there's also Colin Firth's West London apartment from Love Actually. There we go. Another movie I'll have to watch. Yes. And then um, we could even delve into sequels a little bit and look at Rob McAllister's New York City apartment from Home Alone 2. Okay. Which apparently you also have to watch. So yes. Cheryl has a lot of movie watching to do before this time next year. But we will certainly come up with another list of interesting Hollywood holiday properties for what will become our second annual. Exactly. But we may run out of properties before we run out of years of the podcast. Happy holidays, everyone. We hope that you've enjoyed our little trip down memory lane with our five favorite Hollywood holiday properties. And I hope that you spend the holiday with everyone that you want to and in the place that you want to. That's right. Happy holidays, Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, and anything else that you celebrate. Bye, guys.